<laughs> well, why don't we open in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can come together to worship you and learn more of you. Thank you for Rich and uh, Mary and their safe trip down here. Father, we pray that um, our worship would be uh, sweet, that uh, your name would be glorified, uh, that you would be well-pleased, uh, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. Mm -hmm. Father, we pray that um, you would use this time that we might see Jesus and that we become more like him. Mm -hmm. We ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Rich was here a month, month and a half ago, and uh, he's back. Mary Boyette is his friend who came down and stayed with us last <laughs> night. I, I you know, you're, when you say she's his friend, that's, yeah, that's, that's safe. Friend, that's friend. safe, right? <laughs> that, and you can interpret that as, well, uh, yeah, she's a girl. She's a girl, and she's his friend. <laughs> so, but uh, Rich is back, and he's going to bring us uh, Jay Gresham Machen Part 2. Yes. So, Rich? Yeah, thank you, Tom. Yeah, it's so good to be back, guys. Um, it truly is. I, I was so uh, honored just to be here. I think it was like two months ago or so, maybe early September. Uh, time flies when you're having fun, apparently. <laughs> Mary and I actually um, have been, uh, actually are tonight, technically, planting a new church plant in downtown Lynchburg. So uh, we're, we're having evening services, right? Hence why we're not, you know, <laughs> there right now. But um, yeah, we've just been really excited to actually launch this new, uh, they call it a mission group uh, in our circles, but uh, basically just the early stage of a church plant, right? Uh, I'm the only elder on site, and so we're kind of bringing in this core group. We're really trying to bring in people from uh, the downtown neighborhood. Uh, by God's grace, we have uh, two of our own members within our group that's growing uh, who actually were formerly homeless, who are not anymore, of course. And we're seeing God's grace just continue to pour out into the lives of these uh, men and women of different ages. I mean, we're all adults, but, you know. Anywhere from like 22, I think, is the youngest man, all the way up to around like 69 or so years of age. And so it's just wonderful to see like what God's doing downtown in Lynchburg. Um, and I say that because uh, things seem to change a lot, especially when you're church planting, <laughs> you know. And, uh, you know, every week is a little bit different. Um, we, for instance, have actually been going through uh, the book that I wrote on Machen the last couple months now. Uh, trying to train up our core group even in advance, ahead of the church plant, uh, to understand how to evangelize within our community and even defend the faith through apologetics more appropriately. And I think the two often go hand in hand. I mean, they should go hand in hand biblically, evangelism and apologetics, you know, defending the faith but also sharing the faith. And I think a lot of times we in the church, this isn't to be a, too harsh of a judgment, it's just, I know I was taught this way, we often tend to separate evangelism from apologetics. Have you guys ever sensed that as well? Like often there's like an emphasis toward one at the loss of the other, you know, apologetics. Or we're all about truth but not about grace, right? That's why what I want to go for this morning with, with us because I think it's really important for us to balance both truth and grace. You know, we think of John 4, for instance, where Christ came to the woman at the well in Samaria and as he was conveying to her that he is the living water, the only one who can satisfy, uh, he showed himself to be full of truth and grace. And so I think it's beautiful for us to recognize that even as we share and defend the gospel, our duty is, I believe, to exemplify Christ in 
both truth and grace. Um, so before we dive in, actually, I'd like to pray again for us, just to get a little, uh, you know, <laughs> a little uh, spiritually prepared for this. But we're going to be talking a lot about evangelism and apologetics today, and how to actually appropriately apply it, especially here at Good Shepherd. I know you guys have been through a lot of changes as well, like we discussed even last time in Sunday school when I was here. And so it's not lost on me, and I want to definitely uh, speak to that and, and hear your own thoughts and hear from your experiences. Uh, but before we dive in, I'll just go ahead and open this up in a word of prayer again. So let's do that. Father, we thank you so much for the very fact that you are the God of truth and grace. We thank you, O Lord, that yours truly is the kingdom. You are the righteous king on the throne. You rule and reign with power and with equity, with justice and with mercy. We thank you, O Lord, for being so fair and righteous in all your ways. For, Lord, you are good and faithful. So, Jesus, as we approach uh, this time of just uh, uh, learning from those who have lived before us, uh, namely Jairus and Machen, 100 years before us even, uh, may we approach your word with humility and also desire to learn from uh, those men and women who have gone before us and how to uh, better serve your kingdom, but ultimately you, our King Jesus. So we thank you for this time. We thank you, O Lord, uh, for allowing yourself to be glorified and magnified in our midst this morning, in both our worship and even in our study of the word and even our study of church history this morning. So we pray for your blessing, O Lord. In Christ's name, amen. 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 All right, so it's been a couple months. There's no pop quiz. You know, no, no sheets of paper being passed out later on, you know. What do you remember, right? Like, what were the different answers, right? I actually do have, this is actually a study guide that I have pulled up. Don't worry, though, I'm not going to ask you the questions. <laughs> it's been a couple months. But if you remember, though, I am curious. You know, we talked about Machen last time. This guy right here, here's his mugshot. You know, 19, I think it was like in the 19, early, early 1930s when uh, that photo was taken, if I recall. Maybe, maybe closer to 1929 when Westminster was started. Um, he looks kind of decked up and ready to go, ready to start the new seminary at Westminster in 1929. But what do you all recall about Machen from a couple months ago? Machen good Schleiermacher bad. Yes. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, yeah. He was a liar and a mocker, right? <laughs> that was the joke. Schleiermacher. <laughs> the liar and the mocker of Christianity. Yeah. <laughs> good job, Andy. <laughs> you get the A+. Plus. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, what else? So, like, yeah, Schleiermacher, yeah, uh, we were thinking, like, German, you know, higher criticism. And Schleiermacher reacted to that. He was all about, you know, the religion of feeling is what he called it. You know, kind of feeling your way to God and, you know, irrational thinking, quite literally, versus rationalism in that day. Yeah, what else? Maybe this is kind of... Stirring up some thoughts. And then yeah. it was not fired, but yeah. whatever you would call it. Yeah. They asked him to step down. Right. For sure. Defrocked, I think, is the fun word. Defrocked. <laughs> yeah. From, from both the Presbyterian Church in the USA, the mainline one, because of literally, a um, little trivia here, but because he literally started his own missions organization that actually preached the gospel. That, that was in 1930, uh, <laughs> 1936 when he was defrocked from the PCUSA for literally starting, and he started it back in, I think, 1933, if I recall. But they kind of, kind of finally got around General Assembly, and they held you know, him against, uh, on trial, rather. And because he had started the Independent Board for Presbyterian Board Admissions, they said, we don't like that. You know, you're going against the grain. Come on, be unified with us. Be unified. He's like, no, <laughs> I can't be unified with heresy. Mm. 
Yeah. Nice. So yeah, he was defrocked from the pastorate. What was the denomination? Do you remember the denomination that he started when he was kicked out? Yeah, the OPC. OPC. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, yeah, the Bible Presbyterian Church came out of that eventually, just a few years later. Yeah, yeah. So the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Uh, the joke is amongst the OPC uh, friends that we have in there, they call it the only perfect church. Jokingly, I think they call it that jokingly. <laughs> we'll find out one day. <laughs> But yeah, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, that was started in 1936. Basically, as soon as he was defrocked, there were so many other elders, just men, brothers in Christ who came around him within the PC USA, the mainline Presbyterian Church in the USA. Uh, they came around him and they said, look, we're going to stand with you. Like, this was so wrong, the way you were treated. Uh, we can't tolerate this. We can't stay unified to a church that is literally unifying around heresy. Like, we, we can't be a part of this any longer. This is 100 years ago. So when, when he was kicked out, so many of them actually left with him. So it was kicked out with the U.S.P.C. Yeah, P.C. USA. Yeah, lots of acronyms. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the mainline church. In, in the north at the time, it hadn't been remerged with the right. southern church at that point. It was just the northern side. Yeah. Was was there a, a, a dichotomy of a, a real separation between the Southern Presbyterian and the Northern Presbyterian? There was, yeah. The Southern Presbyterian Church at the time was still very conservative, theologically speaking. <clears throat> the Northern was becoming more and more open to liberalism. They didn't embrace it, but they were allowing for a lot of it amongst their pastors. So was their there pastors were geographical separation between the two. There was, yeah. North and South, okay. North and South, yeah. So a little, little trivia as well. Sorry, I'll, I'll come back to you and you here in a second, but a little trivia. Um, you know, we think of the Civil War. I know this is a very contentious topic, especially when you're right around the Mason-Dixon line, right? You know, you the war of northern aggression? That one, yes, I know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You called it, yeah. So, well, actually, the interesting thing is that the Presbyterian Church actually did not split over, over slavery. The church did it. You know, we, we can argue about, you know, what was the cause of the war and everything like that, right, with good reason. But the actual church, the Presbyterian Church at least, other denominations did split over black and white, you know, slaves, no slaves, etc. The Presbyterian Church didn't. They actually split solely over slave, or sorry, over over states' rights, um, because the Northern Church, the Presbyterian Church, said, "Hey, you know, you're part of the South. You need to basically repent of your being Southern, literally. <laughs> like, you need to stay unified with us. You actually need to basically stay unified with the Union, you know, the the Northern states." And if you churches down in Virginia, you, you know, you Presbyterian churches in Virginia, North Carolina, et cetera, if you don't stay unified with us, then you're in sin. And so the Southern Church actually split. They said, no, we, we can't do this. Like, our brothers, our sisters are here. Like, we may approve, we may not approve of the war and whatnot. But regardless, like, these are our countrymen. Like, we need to stay unified with them. And so the original... Presbyterian Church, North and South, actually split over division that was caused by that kind of But by the time you get to the 1920s, 1930s, did yeah. some of the conservative churches in the North align themselves with the Southern Presbyterian? I think there was more, like, amicability, as it were, between the two. Um, especially, I believe, like with Princeton, we definitely see it on display there, Princeton Seminary. I think we talked about Princeton a little bit last time. Um, they had a lot of uh, uh, Southern Presbyterian pastors who were actually teaching and preaching there at Princeton Seminary, mm -hmm. even though Princeton was, of course, in Jersey, right? So there were, you know, efforts to stay united on that front. 
but obviously some bad blood for generations prior. It seems, it's interesting yeah. that you've mentioned he was thrown out because they wanted him to be in yeah. unity. Right. They all be in unity with us. Yeah. We all learn how we need to be unified before. It. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> let's um, let's unpack that. Andy, I just want to come back to you. By the way, I saw your hand earlier. Was there something you also wanted to share earlier? Greatly distressed over the infestation of liberalism that has crept into and taken captive much of the main liberal mainline churches, mm-hmm. and was seeping into the Presbyterian church. He wrote one of the six or so most significant books of the twentieth century, Christianity and Liberalism. That's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. sure did. Yeah. Yeah. And 100 years ago, almost to the day, which is incredible, 1923 is when the book, the, the big book that he wrote, actually a short book, a very small book, 120 pages or so, really. But yeah, he wrote that 100 years ago, 1923. And yeah, absolutely. He, he wrote it because he saw, as you said, the infestation of liberalism creeping into the life of the church, especially his own home denomination, the PCUSA, which he was still a part of at that time. And he was basically saying, look, guys, we, we can't go there. We can't. We can't even have this conversation, like, you know, with those who deny Christ. But yes, we can have it outside the church, but not as pastors, you know? Because they were actually allowing pastors who denied the deity of Christ, you know, his resurrection bodily from the dead, his virgin birth, his miracles. They were starting to allow pastors who actually just denied these things straight up. Well, do you think that was the real reason why they gave him the boot and not the mission board? The big board was just an excuse. I think it was. I think it was the excuse. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't playing along, so to speak, right? He was putting up a stink. I don't think I mentioned this last time. I, I may have. I, it's been a couple months. I'm forgetting to be honest. <laughs> so I don't want to like, repeat myself too much if I am to say, hey, you're repeating yourself. But, uh, but what actually sparked even his writing, Christianity and Liberalism, the main book from 100 years ago, was actually, it was actually a response largely to um, a fun name, but Harry Emerson Fosdick. Uh, he was a Baptist pastor who took a call at uh, a Presbyterian church in New York. And that was happening a lot, by the way. You know, crossing denominations in the name of ecumenicism. Oh yeah, we can get along with our, you know, the Lutherans or the Episcopalians or whatever. And, and so they had a lot of, you know, um, kind of these very eccentric, you know, pompous preachers in the 1920s. Hey guys, come on in. Uh, in the 1920s, you know, not unlike today, really, you know, um, and, and one of the main guys was Harry Emerson Fosdick, and he ended up writing, I'm actually going to pull it up for you guys, <laughs> he actually ended up writing this book, or sorry, a sermon, rather, and it was basically the sermon heard around the world, I'll tell you why here in a moment, but a sermon called, And Shall the Fundamentalist Win? Question mark. And he preached that from the pulpit at a Presbyterian church as a liberal Baptist pastor. He preached it at the, at the church there, which was a very conservative church for a long time, go figure, Bible-believing church, but they called him in because he sounded nice, and he preaches this, and people were amending it left and right. And shall the fundamentalist win? You know, look at these guys. They're not about unity. They're not about sticking with us. They're all about pushing against us and, you know, trying to divide over doctrine and whatnot, right? And uh, I'm going to pull it up here for you guys. But uh, I think, yeah, here it is. Yeah. This sermon, and shall the fundamentalist win, was literally, um, I, I would say, probably the most, I'm happy to be wrong, but I would say it was the most influential sermon of the 20th century. This sermon, 1922, one year before Mason wrote the book, right? 
was preached right there in New York at a Presbyterian church. And I'm just going to read part of this, if that's okay. This is Harry Fosdick, not, not me, of course, <laughs> just for the record. He goes, this morning we are to think, this is his sermon. This morning we are to think of the fundamentalist, meaning those people who actually believe the Bible, right? The fundamentalist controversy, which threatens to divide the American churches as though already they were not sufficiently split and riven. A scene suggestive for our thought is depicted in the fifth chapter of the book of Acts, where the Jewish leaders had before them Peter and the other apostles because they had been preaching Jesus as the Messiah. Moreover, the Jewish leaders proposed to slay them when in opposition Gamaliel speaks, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. He ended up twisting that scripture big time from Acts 5. And he basically said, these fundamentalists, I'm sorry, let me, let me rephrase this. The liberals, the modernists of which he was, the modernists who were denying these things about Christ in the Bible, basically, hey, this movement is going to last. It's going to last. You can't stop it. We're here. And he basically equated the modernists, the liberals, to being like the church in the first century. You can't stop this movement. And he put up a challenge against those who actually believe the Bible. And the rest of his sermon, he just tries to tear up the biblical church, whether they be Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, whatever, you know, whichever denomination didn't matter. He was just tearing apart the fundamentalists, quote unquote, you know, straw man, here they are, tears it down right in front of an entire church. One of the biggest churches, by the way, at that time, Rockefeller, I think it was J.D. Rockefeller, who was, I believe, a member of that church. He loved the sermon so much. He was liberal himself. He loved the sermon so much. He ended up literally ordering copies of it and mailed it to, I want to say, and please fact check me on this, but I think it was like 300,000 churches across America. He mailed it out to them. You need to read this. And he mailed it all the way across the country to various churches. You really need to read this. You need to read this. You need to read this. And he paid for it. And it spread like wildfire, this sermon. <coughs> so Machen, to your point, Andy, was like, yeah, we, we can't allow this. You know, he, he sees this. This is happening inside his own denomination. He's like, these are people that I love. I don't know the, the brothers and sisters up in New York, but I can't, I can't just sit by while, while it's kind of heresy, literally, is tearing apart the church from the inside out. And they're using biblical language, but it's absolutely the opposite of biblical language, truly. And so he ended up writing Christianity and liberalism, proving, look, this liberalism is not Christianity. It's anything but. It's only, it's only going to tear apart the church, the visible church of Christ, right? The visible church of Christ. Friends, sure enough, it did. It did. I mean, that's why we have all these dominational splits, right? You know, Northern Baptists, Southern Baptists. I mean, even they went liberal for a while and then came back. And, you know, the United Methodists, they were disunited for a while, <laughs> you know? Yeah, what was that? Oh, I was just saying, I didn't know they were Northern Baptists. Yeah, yeah. Makes yeah, yeah. National Baptists. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there were so many splits. I mean, the Methodists, Episcopalians, they started going very liberal, of course. Presbyterians, North and South. I mean, you just have all these divisions over and over and over again. And, Right, right. So I know this hits home for a lot of us. I know it is for me as well. Um, having been, thankfully, by God's grace, raised in Bible-believing churches all my life, thankfully, um, you know, 
we aren't blind though to these kind of splits. I mean, we have friends who go to a lot of these mainline Protestant churches, evangelical churches even. You know, they might use the biblical words Protestant, evangelical, maybe even Reformed or Presbyterian. They might use those words, but whew, yeah. I, I feel the tension. I don't know if you guys feel it, by the way. Just, wow, like what is going to happen to the church? Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So uh, there was an article in the Atlantic where a liberal Christian basically appealed to the culture and pretty much stated the same thing recently. Okay. Who are you appealing to in the first place? Yeah, yeah. And so what happened, and what we see now is what happens with the liberal churches when they do this, they do. They do. Over and over and over. They do. Statistically, it will end in 2050. Mm-hmm. It won't exist anymore. The numbers are that linear. Yeah. Yeah. Now, That's the PCUSA, right? Because yeah. I, I know I've seen that stat before about the PCUSA. Is it them or? The Episcopal Oh, Episcopal. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So little. And the numbers wow. are statistically it will cease to exist in 2050. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the linear decline in that, in that wow. church. Yeah. Did the little churches decline after this also? Mm-hmm. That's a curious thought. Because what you yeah. see here now is with COVID, I mean, the Atlantic did another big article about mm-hmm. the churches. And, and their decline after COVID. And what I did is I looked at each one of the churches and then researched the churches. Mm. And in the comparison, the liberal churches are all the ones that have declined. They didn't yep. say that in the Atlantic article. Right. But when I looked at each church and pulled it out and looked at their stuff, yeah. the liberal churches are all the ones that declined because they sure are now. Yeah. They wouldn't go back. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so quick story. I, I love sharing stories, but one of our friends who's actually at our church plant uh, with Mary and me up in Lynchburg, <laughs> sounds weird saying up in Lynchburg, <laughs> but uh, four hours north though, um, she actually grew up in the Episcopal Church. And I mean, she, I mean, her testimony's out there, like she shares it every single week with us even. She grew up in it, you know, was, I mean, believed everything that they said, what they taught. Age 12, you know, she gets confirmed. Her priest tells her, hey, uh, now that you're confirmed, you can do whatever you want. This, this was like 50 years ago now, by the way. You can do whatever you want. You know, you can stay if you'd like. You can go if you'd like. It's okay. Like, boom, you're good. Ticket to heaven kind of thing, right? You're good. So, of course, she left. <laughs> 40 years, as she puts it, 40 years of desert wandering spiritually. She tries all kinds of things, you know, kind of mysticism and that kind of stuff. And just, you know, interesting ideologies, to say the very least. You know, not biblical things. And yet, more recently, the Lord has brought her back to himself. And it's been the most beautiful thing because she's on fire for Jesus in all the right ways, you know, evangelistically speaking. She's part of our group that's going through this stuff, by the way. She's just eating it up every single day. I mean, Friday night even, she was just going on and on about it in a good way. And, and it's only been, I forget even how long she's been like, back um, like into a place of actually believing the scriptures, right, for what they are. I mean, she always believed it as a kid, but now she's like, oh, I actually see it. Like, wait, you actually believe this? Like, oh, wait, this is real. You know, Jesus actually rose bodily from the dead. Like, he was raised for our justification. What? Like, all these, like, basic truths, right? And she's, like, she's just finding new life in it. No joke, she's calling her friends. I think she went to um, William Mary, if I remember correctly. I forget where, but I think it was William Mary. Um, I don't think it was JMU, but William Mary up in Virginia. And she's been calling her friends. She's like, I need to tell you about Jesus. <laughs> like, her friends from college, you know, 45 or 50 years ago now. 
she's like calling them like guys or not 45 but yeah she's like over 60s but yeah quick math about 40 years ago or more uh 45 or so yeah i can't do math right now i'm trying to teach and do math at the same time <laughs> 45 or so years ago now, at least decades ago decades ago there we go that's nice yeah <laughs> thank you but she's calling them up and she's just like like guys like i need to share this with you like i should believe like this is like do you see this <laughs> And she always was one to make conversation, as we both know. <laughs> She's very much a conversationalist. <clears throat> and she just, she's on fire for Jesus. And, and the reality is, like, she has a love for the Episcopal Church, to your point. And she loves it. That was her home, theologically, biblically, ecclesiastically speaking. And, you know, but she can't really worship there, you know? And, but, you know, she's been with our church plant the last, like, two months now. As we've been leading up and gearing up to actually, you know, replant this and everything. And she's been a part of it. And it's been so beautiful because, again, she's like, she's right there with me on Court Street. Like, she lives there right in the heart of downtown, like, literally on the same block as me. And, like, she's just, like, talking with her neighbors and all. It's just beautiful to see that new life, you know, like, real, real vitality. Um, but yeah, to your point, um, the mainland churches, though, they are dying quickly right now. PCUSA as well, statistically. I'm not sure like when it will die, right? We just right. don't know. But it's on the same trajectory. Methodist United Methodist yeah. Signal, sir. Wow. Here in town, mm-hmm. there are three major big Methodist churches. Mm-hmm. Horse Jarvis. And they had a split. They actually bust in old people who were members so they could vote to stay with the liberal United Methodist. Really? And then when that voted, Huge chunk other folks left. I mean, yeah. I had a cop friend who yeah. goes there. I said, This is what will take place. This is what takes place at every place. Yeah. No, 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 that won't happen. Wow. And, and then what is left is a residual, mm-hmm. and it goes down hill. It does. It does. Yeah, that's so sad. People broke off of yeah. going. Huge. They have So we definitely, um, we definitely are seeing this kind of thing happen amongst many denominations right now, Methodist, Presbyterian, uh, Baptist, in terms of the Southern Baptist, not so much right now, but they are splitting over different issues right now as well. I have a lot of friends who serve in Southern Baptist churches, and they're splitting for different reasons, over woke ideology, especially right now, and uh, uh, abuses that have just gone uncovered until recently. Um, and nobody wants that, of course, to happen, but we are seeing... Honestly, what Jesus told us would happen in Matthew 13, <coughs> the separation of the wheat and the chaff. And of course, we know that that's at the very end. I'm not trying to misapply it here, right? The separation of, of the wheat from the weeds or the chaff, like that's going to happen at the very last when he comes, right? It takes away the wicked to judgment, as we see in Matthew 24 and 5. It takes them away to judgment. Um, 
and the church there remains and is glorious. But we're seeing a foretaste of that even right now, I believe, in America. And again, we don't rejoice over the fact that we see people whom we love genuinely, that we love, who are part of the visible church, who even maybe profess faith in Christ, who were baptized into the church even, who were just walking away. But we do see that happening a lot in large droves right now, especially since COVID. So, and I realize this is all really heavy stuff. I mean, this hits me personally. I know people who have deconstructed, people I used to look up to very, very, very much. And still love, of course, but you know, they've deconstructed their faith. They've walked away. Uh, in a sense, he was right. Uh, liberal Christianity is going to, I guess, continue or persist mm. because in the Bible clearly says that in the last days, people will turn aside from the truth and embrace doctrines of demons, and that's one of them. Yeah. Um, so until the second coming, there is going to have the tension of the advance of the gospel and Satan ratchets up his opposition. Right. And, you know, whatever doctrines of demons he can, you know, you know, spew out there. Right. It'll, it'll, it won't, it'll persist, but it's not going to prevail. Only right. God's truth will prevail. Amen. Amen. That's a perfect segue, by the way. Because I know this is like a downer, right? To think about, like, you know, apostasy. I mean, just the fun words, like apostasy and deconstructionism and all that stuff. But genuinely, like, God will prevail. Like, he's the king over his church. He's the, the master gardener over the, the field of his choosing. These are beautiful things. And he tends to us with love and with care. Shepherd-like, he leads us, right? As the hymn writer once said. Shepherd-like, he leads us. So, you know, we, we know our Lord. We can trust in him, even as things are just going in all kinds of different directions. Societally speaking, even in terms of the church, as we see things splitting. And so, I want to bring this up before we wrap up. We have another probably 10 minutes or so, I'd say. Is that about right? 10, 15 minutes or so? It's about uh, 9, 10. 20. 20 minutes? Perfect. Okay. Plenty of time then. So what I want to get into is I actually want to apply this, right? Because I understand, and we talked about this last night, you know, we were talking last night, Tom and Colleen and Mary and I. But, you know, I understand, and I want to be really careful with this, admittedly. You know, I'm still ordaining the PCA myself. I know a lot of you came out of the PCA church here in town. Um, this isn't to dog on the PCA or especially your, your previous church or anything like that. I don't want to even go there. You know, we want to be really careful not to slander or gossip in any way, truly. You know, we want to actually maintain the dignity and the honor of our neighbor, right? Um, but we also must be truthful. It's both and. We must be truthful. And so, um, you know, as you all have started Good Shepherd, even a few years ago, three and a half, four years ago or so now, uh, there were reasons why you left, you know? And we've talked about it a little bit. Um, hard things. But also, I want to I focus on this. I know we touched on this last time, you know, the reasons why we left a little bit, you know, a few things here and there. What are some of the positive things, though? The positive things that you've seen God do as you actually left, and you've seen now God maybe bring healing, or, or you know, uh, the gospel has been preached faithfully without any kind of po- uh, politics being thrown in or anything of that nature, right? Like, what, what are some of the positive things that you've seen the last few years here at Good Shepherd? Yeah? It, it's helped me to find Christ's love in a different manner in that one of the problems there is that you compromise, or if you're willing to compromise your faith to accommodate or love the culture, mm-hmm. and that's what I see so often, just 
it goes, it makes me go back and that what does, how does God define love? Mm-hmm. How does he define it? Not how I define it. Yeah. Not how my culture defines it. Mm-hmm. You know, I pray for those that I see and say to know that I am a sinner also. Yeah, amen. And so that I am not superior to them. Yeah. God did this, not me. Yeah. It's beautiful. Thank you. I missed your name earlier. I'm sorry. My name is Ricky. Watson. Ricky Watson. Ricky. Easier to remember. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, Richard, right? No, there's no Richard. Oh, just Ricky. Oh, just Ricky. No, no, no. In the book Freakonomics, they look at names as predictor of outcome. Uh-huh. At the top of the list for poor white people is Ricky Lee. Ricky Lee. Ricky Lee. I'm Ricky Lee. There you go. Ricky Lee. Poor white boy. That's hilarious. It took me a moment to get the joke, by the way. Too. Yeah, Rich versus Ricky. Yeah, that's right. That's how it's your friend. Thanks for your insights too. Yeah, genuine Christ-centered love. That's amazing. Praise the Lord. You've all been experiencing that here. You know, it's interesting. You yeah. talked about how this is sort of a depressing downward spiral. Yeah. Which it is. Um, I have a little different take. Mm. I think people in the church are waking up mm. to what truth is. So I, while they're leaving, mm. I, I think they're leaving enlightened. I think they're leaving, you know, I think it was like the frog in the kettle for so many years, and things would come in, and they ignored, and they really didn't compare it to scripture, but then when it got so bad, they couldn't ignore it anymore, Mm. so I see it as a good thing, Yeah. that people are saying, okay, this isn't the gospel, it's not, Um, it's happening all at once, Mm And there's big disruptions in our town of many denominations. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I look at it as good. Yeah. Thank so you. you're saying that they might be leaving churches, but they're not leaving the church. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a huge difference, right? I know we yeah. talked about a little, just a few things last time, a little months ago. <coughs> yeah. Um, after the service and all. So, yeah. Well, like you were saying, the Methodist church, the one here in town, that's conservative, like, actually, like, no, we are, <laughs> we do believe the Bible, they're growing, yeah. 300 people, you said? Uh-huh. That's incredible. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, amen. Yeah. Like, praise God for what he's doing. Well, that's a huge, that's a huge bunch that left yeah. and stayed together, you know, wow. still. Wow. But I think it made, I'm, I'm kind of on the same page as Colleen, I think it's made us think. Mm more about what we believe and why we had to leave. Do you know what I mean? We yeah. Be oh, yeah. Very comfortable and nice people uh-huh. and all that stuff. So it does make me <clears throat> think, and that's why I think true mm. believers are coming out. Um, Amen. You know, Amen. In my, so in my awesome. case, I, I think that it's made me more active. You know, it was kind of easy to kind of step back in church and <clears throat> not really do anything mm-hmm. in the, when it was at Christ Press because you had that session doing things, the elders doing mm-hmm. things, and you know, we would do things. Yeah. When I ask, oh, you do study school or or whatever, but you know, having left, <coughs> you know, it yeah. it's you can't just kind of set back and just kind of let things happen. Yeah. You have to be an active participant, which I think is you know, very 
I mean, at least for me, it's good to put your, your faith in action mm. instead of just kind of being very passive and, mm. and kind of hopefully you're praying for the church if we're going to continue to grow, that we're going to need to be more active, kind of like mm-hmm. you said. And I think mm-hmm. when we had the pastor here last week, you mm-hmm. know, too, talking about um, evangelism, and that's mm-hmm. not a, you know, you kind of have this attitude of if we just said here's a church that is just going to grow because people are going to going to find the truth. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, the way we are. We're formed all oh, that's going to show up. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. going to, too. I think if anything, it's kind of ratcheting up the mm-hmm. activity. So kind yeah. of getting off my lazy butt of the, yeah. That the, uh, and getting actually doing things. I love hearing that. Yeah. Well, and I, I love it, by the way, you know, you mentioned the word reformed. Um, like, I hope everybody realizes, like, our reformed tradition actually is and has been the most evangelistic tradition, like, in the history of the church. And I'm just saying that because it's cool to be reformed or something. Like, genuinely, like, when you look at, like, world missions, just the last few hundred years, pretty much all reformed, mostly up until, like, the last century, you know? Um, 1700s, reformed. Great Awakening, First Great Awakening, all reformed. Second Great Awakening, it was more about the altar call and whatnot. It wasn't reformed. Look what happened, you know, here in America. It was much more about the experience, you know, 1850s or so, around there. And uh, that really hurt us, I believe. You know, we saw the church grow. And like you were saying, uh, the church actually grew, by the way. The Protestant church actually grew after the whole fundamentalist, modernist controversy. The, the modernist churches actually grew for a while because it was popular and, and good to be moralistic. And the Bible was a good guide for life, which is what Esther was telling us on Friday in the Episcopal Church. It was a good guide for life. You can be a good person by reading this, by going to church, by checking that off your list every Sunday morning, right? That's what has left the church largely. Uh, that and also those who've been hurt by the church. That's a different story, of course. Those who've deconstructed because of especially church hurt. There's a whole different issue there. Maybe we can talk about that next time, in December when I'm here next. Um, but that's a whole different topic right there. But as far as like, you know, the visible church, you know, those who, um, you know, uh, they, they go to church, maybe they profess faith in Christ because they were told to, you know, they, they got baptized because, oh, my parents told me I need to, whatever, you know, kind of thing. Those are the ones who, as they've grown up, have actually left. And now we're seeing, by and large, like you were just saying, we, we have genuine believers who are here who are saying, okay, who's going to stand up? Who's going who's gonna to actually put their hand to the plow and do the work? You know? And, and that's what we're seeing. I'm actually seeing a stronger church, if anything. Like, since COVID especially. I mean, 2020, forced into isolation, right? I mean, all politics aside, honestly, but... Oh, a lot of politics aside, at least. <laughs> it's impossible to be apolitical. Um, but, you know, we were all forced into isolation. We were forced into even not going to church, so many of us for maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of years in many states, California, otherwise, right? That was unbiblical to say the least. Forced to not be in the church, forced to not be around God's people, so wrong. And so many of us, we either put up with it for a couple of weeks or a few months, or maybe a couple of years even. But at this point, I mean, we can see very clearly that just ravaged the visible church. Now, there's a big difference between the visible church, by the way, and the invisible church, right? Those who are truly believers, the elect of God, the chosen ones of God from eternity past, protected by his hand for all time, never to be released or removed from his righteous right hand. But the visible church certainly does come and go. And that's what we've seen the last few years. We've seen a lot of people in the visible church leave. But the church is still here. 
and, and now's our chance to actually step up and say, okay, like, we believe. Help our unbelief, Lord, but, like, we're moving forward. Like, let's, let's do this. Let's do the work of evangelists. Fulfill our ministry. Yes, Andy? Um, personally speaking, uh, I can't speak for everybody, but yeah. it gives me and Ruth the opportunity to obey the biblical command, do not forsake the assembly together, the yeah. saints, without violating our conscience. Yeah. Because you can jump in, oh, this, oh, this, this church isn't in line with the Bible. Mm-hmm. Oh, this church is doing, you know, and you can do that to the point where, okay, well, based on principle, I just can't find any of this. So I was, you know, sit at home and listen to, you know, uh, Sinclair Ferguson <laughs> on, the, on the computer or something like that. Yeah. But when you get right down to it, principled disobedience is still disobedience. It's a mm-hmm. command. You're supposed to assemble together and not take, take your marbles and go home and say, like, ah, oh, there's just no place here for it. This gives us, this gives us a place where you can worship God in spirit and truth and not violate our conscience. Amen. Yeah, going back to the question of like, what have you gleaned or what have you actually enjoyed about this church? Yeah, this gathering of believers, a good shepherd. Yeah, yeah. Well, <coughs> scripture says, "Let not be true in every man a liar." So we've been a liar since I was part of a church plant in Tennessee, and I swore mm. I'd never do that again. <laughs> <laughs> it's tiring work, isn't it? Very tiring. Yeah, I feel tired myself, and I haven't even done our church plant tonight this yet. Is but yeah. much more pleasant yeah. than my experience in Tennessee. Okay. So I get to you know, there's there's some churches up there I'm gonna check out first. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing that I've noticed yeah. about our church that I've benefited from a lot because of my health is that everyone's so quick to serve each other. Mm. Like, I can't even count the amount of meals and prayers and phone calls mm. from when I've been sick or in the hospital. So, which I still need prayers. So, yeah. <laughs> it's just. I never went to a church that was so ready to serve each other like that. So, it's been great. That's awesome. I praise God. I, I picked up on that genuine spirit of charitability and hospitality here when I was here last time as well. Immediately. Immediately. And that's one of the sweet parts of being a small congregation right now. I mean, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't yearn that we'll stay small. In fact, I would say, mm-hmm. I, I mean, if we, uh, it looks like we're going to align ourselves with the ARP and, mm-hmm. you know, probably I'll be gone to uh, heaven or, uh, but what, what will this church look like in 50 years mm-hmm. uh, hopefully it'll be around or next time again well by one of the Methodist churches it will move into that by one of the Methodist churches there you go but there is a sweetness to the, the intimacy of the fellowship of knowing each other and mm-hmm. But also, it's fun to consider, okay, where, yeah. where, where will this congregation be in 25, 50 years? Yeah. Jimmy and I won't be around. Hey. Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy will be around. Jimmy's going to last off. Listen, he's, he's talking about the church they're doing is in Lynchburg. Yeah, yeah. And he said they've got, you know, 22 to 69, 70. What's he doing? Sure. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's amazing. What's the deal with that? Yeah, know, right? You know, it's funny because when Crash Press started, we were the oldest. I think we were in our maybe 40s, maybe not that old. I don't know. We were the oldest ones. Mm. And then we went over there, we were the oldest Shoot, besides you, and it's not. And now, here we are. One of the things we talk about different denominations, but one that we haven't talked about is the Catholic Church. 
And with this pope, mm -hmm. yes, does yes, anyone yeah. have any insight? I mean, it just seems to me like they're, I'm ready. That they have got to be like, really? borderline or something. I just saw two, he, he's now starting to ask for resignations of U.S. bishops and priests or whatever, one of which, more recently, held a prayer vigil when the Los Angeles Dodgers welcomed the transgender nuns or whatever those people were. Right, yeah. He had a prayer vigil. So he's been asked to resign and refused. I don't know what. Burning the space on I don't know. What's oh, really? Does he, he, did he agree with it or because yeah. he, 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 he Oh no, he said he's right. He protested against it, thankfully. Um, he was in the room. And, and yeah. Yeah. some of the Catholics are saying, the Pope also just came out and, <coughs> from what I saw, and I can't really remember it, basically said, hey, uh, yeah. transgender. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. it's fine. Yeah, 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 you can still be baptized if you yeah, that yeah, or your kids. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite um, one of my favorite people I like to follow on Twitter and YouTube, um, he's actually a delegate for where I used to live in Culpeper, Virginia. Uh, Nick Freitas, really good guy, believer as well. But um, he puts up funny videos almost every day and a couple days ago he said Remember when the phrase is a Pope Catholic was actually a joke? <laughs> yeah. It was actually a joke. <laughs> like, I don't think so anymore. Is a Pope Catholic? <laughs> It's very high up there, yeah. yeah. Well, part of the problem, Andy and I were talking yesterday, is like yeah. the Catholic Church believes you can have new revelation. You can talk about this because you're talking about it. No, it's you like, just fine. <laughs> no, I mean, because it's like, according to the Reformed believers, I mean, yeah, the, yeah. The, the canon is closed, yeah, I mean, yeah, and they, yeah. they just make it up as they go along. Like, what do you call it? Ex cathedra? Or, ex -cathedra. You, you let him talk about it. But it's like, he knows a lot. you can add stuff, and it's like, <laughs> Yeah, from the church. Everyone's out of the church, right? Catholics and Pentecostals are exactly the same on that. Well, I was going to say that's a sign of cult. So, I mean, I think on campus there's a big thing called the Seven Seven Club. You don't hear about this. I brought my, I saw on Facebook too, but they have a, they said Jesus came back as some, some, Japanese dude was giving new revelation, and you go to Mormons, they yeah. got new revelation. Yeah. You can just go the All list, the and list, and list, and you're getting new revelations. <coughs> See, they talk, they the think the apostles are still, like, they're, they're yeah. still today. Yeah, the Whereas the reform believe the, re the apostles are, there's only... The, the Pope is supposed to be Christ on earth. And he's the vicar of Christ on earth. But then you got the old school Catholics, yeah, then you got the old school Catholics that are saying, like, oh, no, the Latin Mass is the right Mass, and he's the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, so you're saying the Catholic Church is the one true church, but the head of it's the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. You're really making a strong argument for Protestantism. Right, <laughs> exactly. This sounds really familiar. 1517, yeah. uh, yeah. something happened oh, back then. Like, the bunch of Antichrist, it's like, well, you sound yeah. like the old school Westminster Convention. Yeah. It was straight up said. I know. So it's like, they, they were on this board yeah, 500 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Before it was cool. Yeah, were you going to say something? Yeah, I'm um, trying to bring it all together. Yeah, yeah. With uh, time back to... That already happened, actually. Yeah. <laughs> 
thing of the Reformation, I mean, the whole point of the Reformation was they were doing everything extra biblical. Yeah. Right? You know, so the reformers brought it back to Scripture alone. Yes. And so whenever we've done that, it's been refreshing to be here because I see the seriousness that each one of us have taken to wrestle with what does God's word say. Yeah. Um, and so when we have that as a foundational point, you can have a variety of flavors, as I like to say, like in terms of even your theological doctrines within Reformed sure. or Presbyterian. Yeah, a lot of things are not essential, right? Yeah. For, for faith, that is. Yeah. <coughs> so, but it's those essentials that we hold dear. We can say, and I think this is where you look at the positives of everything that's happened, is like the laity of the church have been the ones who have risen up in the past three years and been like, no, 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 no. That's not what, that's not what's in here. Yeah. Um, and so to see that, that is a refreshing thing because, again, the Reformation was scholars. You know, it was predominantly, you know, Calvin mm-hmm. was, um, Luther were both scholars and <coughs> men. But to see what we're seeing today, it seems like it's much more of the laity. The people mm-hmm. in the church are actually reading their Bibles because of the men from the Reformation who translated it for us. Right, right. yeah. So, um, but to say, we can say, ah, oh, no, where's that biblical? Right. Yeah. Um, so I see that as been like a a blessing of being you know able to be part of the church and um, to see that in you know just even in the Sunday schools or yeah. conversation and just seeing the insight that each one mm-hmm. you know it's, when you open it up in the Sunday school people talk it's like mm-hmm. you get to see like how each person's thinking about these things and mm-hmm. engaging and trying to apply mm-hmm. it to life. So yeah, I love it. I love it. You guys are a very lively bunch, and I mean that with all due respect. Like seriously, because I mean this is to your point, like yeah. What what can turn into anarchy, right? Like when the lady rise up, right? That's like some kind of revolt or whatever. But but truly, like just what you were saying reminded me of what Jesus said in John 10, like my sheep know my voice. You know, if we're believers in Christ, like we can discern from between truth and error, right? Because this Holy Spirit indwells us. He leads us into all truth, right? And so for a lot of people who, you know, maybe grew up like my friend Esther in the Episcopal Church, thankfully the Lord helped her to discern between truth and error. She left it, yes, for 40 years, but guess what? You know, as she heard truth in our, you know, conservative Presbyterian church, she was like, okay, I'm in. Like literally, very first Sunday she visited, she's like, okay, I'm in. I'm in. Like, you got me. How do I join? I mean, we're going to see, I think, a lot more of that in our generation and the younger ones especially. Um, so, for the sake of time, I want to kind of touch upon this, but again, grace and truth, right? Grace and truth, like where, where we started. Um, it's so easy for us to swing from one side of the pendulum of grace to truth or truth to grace, right? Uh, so basically the modern church, they were like, hey guys, we don't need the truth. We're going to be all about loving God and, or like our, our idea of God at least, loving people, right? Grace, 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 grace. By the way, evangelicalism, like broad evangelicalism, mostly on this side. If you go to almost any mega church, God loves you, wonderful plan for your life, like all this good stuff. He's going to bless you, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, nothing about repentance, right? Nothing about truth. Repent of your sin. Obey the gospel, right? As we have it in our Westminster Confession. Obey the gospel. Like, you'll never hear that in a big evangelical church. Obey the gospel? That's legalistic. What does that even mean? Yeah, it sounds legalistic. Yeah, yeah. Obey, like, repent and believe. Yeah. And by the way, obeying the gospel just means repenting and believing. Right. <laughs> you know, it just, but it's archaic to us because we don't preach it. 
Repent from your sins. Believe upon Christ. Be saved. Obey the gospel. And, and so, yeah, I'll come back in a second here, but I think we need to have a real good balance because we often, I know myself, my own soul, I've swung from one side to the other, right? You know, I mean, I was always very truth, 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 you know, on one side. Um, and then, you know, kind of came a little too far to this side in more recent years, and I'm trying to swing back more toward the center uh, and actually accentuate both at this point in my life. It's hard to balance it, but I think we need to be very much mindful of which side do we swing toward, not just as individuals, but also as a church, right? And that really is going to actually plot the course, I believe, for Good Shepherd. I don't want to speak over you guys in that way, but speak uh, rather truthfully into this. Um, it's going to plot the course for a Good Shepherd Reform Fellowship for years to come. You know, are we going to be a people of grace and truth, or just grace, or just truth? And how do we balance that? How do we live, you know, in, in the between, so to speak, you know, as people who are beloved sons and daughters of God, but also called out of this world of sin to live holy lives before him in obedience? How do we do that both? that sermon or that Sunday school class is how to love as Christ tells us to love versus how does we love as the culture tells us to love. Mm, yes, like you said earlier. That's the split. Yeah. That's the discernment between the two. Yeah. Grace without the other part yeah. is not nothing. The other part without the grace is not Christianity either. Yeah. It is not. It's right. Pharisaism, right? Sadduceeism. <laughs> it's nothing new. It's nothing new. You fall off on either side. If you fall off on either side, we see this over and over and over. You fall off one side. I can't live by the rules because, I mean, completely because I can't because Christ must be in me to do this. I can't live by But the flip of that is, I have to have Christ. I can't just say that. Since I got Christ, I don't worry about anything like you said. I can cannot compromise my faith mm-hmm. to show the love to the world. Mm-hmm. But the flip of that is I've got to figure out how to show them how much Christ loves them. Yeah. Right. Or mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the answer is so simple. Uh, Machen's life verse. Thank you. Yeah. Machen's life verse was Galatians 2.20, which is where I get the title of my book. The life I now live live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's it. Yeah. So I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. That's just the nutshell of the gospel right there. Christ loved me and he gave himself for me. I mean, when we understand that, we'll be much more balanced. You know, we'll be humbled. We won't be people who are all, you know, pharisaical or legalistic, right? I mean, truly legalistic. Not as a culture defines it, but truly legalistic. Um, But we'll also understand grace appropriately. And we'll be just melted by God's grace toward us in Christ as the Spirit warms our heart and just leads us. And we talked about unity earlier like unity with those who claim Christ who really weren't in Christ, like, you know, the modernist and whatnot. That's a fun screensaver. <laughs> we, we can't be unified uh, with people who don't believe in the word or in Christ who is the word. 
we, we can't be unified with them. We can only have unity as Christians with other believers in the Holy Spirit, right? He's the one who unifies us in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. So we shouldn't seek to be unified with the world, like you were saying, and we shouldn't seek to be unified with those who deny Christ, even especially within the church. But guess what? Like, as believers in Christ, we can and we should be unified. That's true unity. Because it's union in Christ, ultimately, that we're going after. And that we get to experience in the already, not yet, even here in this life. So, with that in mind, let's go ahead and close with in prayer. And then uh, we'll switch over to worship. So, yeah. Father, we thank you so much for, again, this day that you've given to us. We thank you, Father, that your mercies are new every morning. And Lord, you are so faithful to us. Jesus, we thank you that you truly are Lord of the church, Lord of the conscience, our Prince of Peace, our mighty ruler, our savior, our shepherd, and our king. And we devote all this time to you as we worship you and seek to know you all the more and live in light of your grace and your truth and display both your grace and your truth to a world that is in so desperate need of it. So use this time, O Lord, to refresh our hearts and to lead us onward and upward to that heavenly rest above. In Christ's name, amen.